Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Welcome to Real Paranormal Activity, the network. Entertainment you'll enjoy. You are listening to an RPA production where people gather. Foss Corporation, LLC. Welcome once again to the mansion on the hill, the house of strange, the palace of mystery. This is the home of Terry's mysterious moments. This is season five. We thank you for listening to the show. Hello, everyone. Greetings from South Texas, where finally the wicked back of summer has been broken by the coolness of fall. We had a cool front come through the other day and it dropped temperatures probably 10 to 15, 20 degrees, depending on the day. We like the summer, but not the kind of summer we get. I want to tell you some stories. They're haunted house stories that are pretty interesting. There's historical information along with these stories, so enjoy. The Morris Jumel Mansion is a federal-style museum home in northern Manhattan with mid-18th century roots. It was built in 1765 by Roger Morris, a British military officer, and served as headquarters for both sides in the American Revolution. Located at 65 Jumel Terrace in Roger Morris Park, in the Washington Heights neighborhood of Manhattan, New York City. It is the oldest house in the borough. The home and grounds were purchased as a museum home in 1903 and declared a National Historic Landmark in 1961. The exterior was designated a New York City Landmark in 1967, with the interior following in 1975. Roger Morris, a British military officer who was serving as a member of the Executive Council of the Province of New York, built the house in 1765 for himself and his American-born wife, Mary Phillips Morris. They lived in it for 10 years, from 1765 until 1775, when the American Revolution began. Roger Morris held the position of captain in the British Army during the French War, while his wife, Mary Phillips, 
was daughter to Speaker of the Assembly, Frederick Phillips II. She was often described as beautiful, fascinating, and accomplished. As British loyalist, Morris went to England at the start of the war, while his wife and family went to stay at the Phillips estate in Yonkers. Morris returned in 1777 after the city had been captured by the British. He became the inspector of the claims of refugees until 1783, when he and his family left for England after the British defeat in the Revolution. Between September 14th and October 20th of 1776, General George Washington used the mansion as his temporary headquarters after his army was forced to evacuate Brooklyn Heights following their loss to the British Army under the command of General William Howell in the Battle of Long Island. During his stay there from September 14th to October 20th, 1776, Washington made note of his experience there. It is claimed without foundation by those with a romantic inclination that Washington not only selected the house because of its location, but also because Mary Phillips had been a love interest of his 20 years earlier. The house is one of the major remaining landmarks of the Battle of Harlem Heights, after which it became the headquarters of British Lieutenant General Sir Henry Clinton and the Hessian commander, Baron Wilhelm von Knipphausen. Because the Morrises were loyalists, the House and the Morrises jointly held one-third share of the massive 250-square-mile Phillips Patton, immediately north of today's Westchester County border, were confiscated in 1779 by the revolutionary government of the colony of New York's commissioners of forfeiture. You're on the wrong side, you lose your land. They were sold off during the dark times of the revolution for the colonials to fund its continental army led by Washington. Despite assurance of restitution in the 1783 Treaty of Paris, no compensation to the Morrises was ever forthcoming from either the state of New York or the American government. Following its confiscation, Mount Morris served as a farmhouse and a tavern known as Calumet Hall and a popular stop along the Albany Post Road. The mansion was bought in 1810 by Stephen Jumel, a rich French merchant who had immigrated to the United States as a home for himself and his wife and former mistress, Eliza Bowen Jumel, along with their adopted daughter, Mary Bowen, who was thought to be the daughter of Eliza's stepsister. Throughout her adult life, Eliza Jumel lived richly and luxuriously. Eliza, who had come from poor beginnings, was known for being a woman who sought out a higher social position for herself, as well as a life that encompassed having large amounts of wealth. Thus, she was always seen around men of power and fortune. Anxious to be accepted into New York society, the Jamels remodeled the house, adding the federal-style entrance, and redecorated the interior in the empire style. Because they were not accepted socially in New York, the Jamels went to France in 1815, 
although Eliza returned from 1817 to 1821. She returned for good in 1826 with Stephen Jumel's power of attorney, and he returned in 1828. Talk about a trusting man. Eliza was subject to many accusations in both France and New York, one of them being her involvement in the unpleasant death of her husband. After Stephen's death in 1832 from injuries he received in a carriage accident, Eliza, who was now one of the wealthiest women in New York City, married the controversial ex-Vice President Aaron Burr in the front parlor of the house. She filed for divorce in 1834, which was granted in 1836, shortly before Burr's death. Eliza then divided her time between Saratoga, New York, Hoboken, New Jersey, and Lower Manhattan. Her stepdaughter's family lived with her in the mansion until 1862. Eliza Jumel died in 1865. In her later years, she had become very eccentric, if not insane. The care and love she had for the mansion helped it evolve into the representation of art and culture it has been for over two and a half centuries within the New York City area. In 1862, the Jamel heirs broke up the 115 acres of the estate into 1,058 lots, upon which numerous row houses were built, some of which today make up the Jamel Terrace Historic District. The house itself was purchased by New York City in 1903 from the owners at the time, the Earls, with the help of the Daughters of the American Revolution. It was converted into a museum run by the Washington Headquarters Association, formed by four chapters of the Daughters of the American Revolution, and was renovated and refurnished in 1945. The house is owned by the Department of Parks and Recreation and is a member of the Historical House Trust. During its history, the Morris Jumel Mansion hosted many other distinguished visitors, including dinner guests John Adams, Thomas Jefferson, Alexander Hamilton, and Quincy Adams. After Burr's death, Eliza's mental health deteriorated, as we said. According to local talk, prior to her death in 1865, Eliza became reclusive and she was a frightening sight to behold with false teeth, unkempt hair, soiled clothing, and ungainly large feet. Finally, dementia overtook her and her babbling drove away even the staunchest of relatives. The haunting reported at the mansion began soon after her death as Eliza was allegedly seen wandering about the property in a white dress, producing spine-tingling noises. When a psychic went to the mansion and purportedly summoned the spirit of Stephen Jumel, the spirit said that he was murdered and buried alive. Could this be the bloody man who shambles through the house as Stephen's injuries from the reported carriage accident left him battered and bleeding. Reports on this version of the death of Jamel says as doctors who fixed him up came back later to check on him, found him to be dead, his bandages having been removed and he having bled out. 
Guess who is suspected? Eliza. As was said, the city of New York took over the property in 1904 and tours have been fraught with ghost sightings ever since. A famous sighting occurred in 1964 when Eliza, wearing a violet dress, supposedly appeared to some school children and yelled at them to shut up. The Octagon House on 18th and New York Avenue, Northwest, is well known for both its architecture and for the spirits that are said to linger on in the residence. Originally owned by Colonel John the III, one of the richest men in late 18th century Virginia, the Octagon has a storied history peppered with tales from the great beyond. When Taylor was looking to build a winter home, his personal friend George Washington suggested the district. Taylor commissioned William Thornton, who designed the Capitol building. Thornton designed a structure costing $13,000, which fit neatly into the triangle lot that it was situated on. The layout of the building is quite imaginative, but the first thing to understand about the octagon which means eight-sided, is that it only has six sides, not eight. Buildings in that time were referred to as octagons if they had eight angles and round rooms were also called octagons because they're framed out with eight sides. The octagon has eight angles and the front of the building is a large column forming three stories of round rooms on the inside. The rest of the building is wedge-shaped to fit onto the lot. The exterior was done in brick and sandstone, and the interior was designed with luxury in mind. Furniture imported from England, a magnificent spiral staircase connecting the levels, and according to the archaeologist, maybe even an indoor toilet. The Octagon House was host to many famous guests, including John Quincy Adams, Lieutenant General Lafayette, Commodore Stephen Decatur, and John Randolph of Roanoke. But let us not forget the common folk in our description of the residence. The basement held the kitchen and the quarters for slaves. It was separated from the rest of the house by a double ceiling designed to block the noise from the lower level from reaching the upper levels. The elegant front stairs hid the narrow back stairs which the slaves would use to get from the kitchen to the top three floors through a series of discreet service doors. The slaves could be reached by using the elaborate system of bells installed in the house. The spiral staircase is not only beautiful, but also the place of, some would have you believe, at least two hauntings. Colonel Taylor and his wife, Anne Ogle, had 15 children and two would die on these stairs. These two daughters, both apparently were in love with inappropriate men, one of which was a British officer. And after quarreling with their father, both fell from the stairs to their death. Their deaths were years apart, but the similarities in their accidents could lead one to believe that Taylor went to an early grave, not out of grief, but from guilt. 
The unlucky daughters are remembered today in popular ghost stories. One daughter can apparently be seen on still nights in the form of a candlelight ascending the stairs. The other makes her presence known at the bottom of the stairs. Her lifeless body is said to have turned over the edge of the carpet at the foot of the staircase, and today the carpet is, according to the story, found with the edge turned over, no matter how many times one straightens it. Dolly Madison spent time at the Octagon House after the British burned Washington during the War of 1812. According to some, she is the next ghost said to haunt the Octagon. She is a very popular ghost in Washington, D.C. She has the most hauntings attributed to her in the whole district. How Mrs. Madison came to the Octagon is just another example of the significance of the Octagon in its early days. After the burning of Washington and the Madison's flight from the city, the presidential couple needed a place to stay while the White House was being rebuilt. Colonel Taylor offered them the octagon and the Madisons graciously accepted. It was in the second floor circular room that President Madison signed the Treaty of Ghent, ending the War of 1812. And Dolly Madison held many of her soirees and balls in the residence. Her lingering presence is detected by the smell of lavender in the house, Dolly Madison's favorite perfume. After the Madisons vacated the octagon and the Talos passed on, the house was used as a boarding house and for government offices. It was during this period that the octagon gained its fourth ghost, the ghost of a gambler who had rooms on the third floor. The man was a notorious cheat and was shot and killed in a card game. The story goes that as he fell to the floor, he tried to keep himself upright by grabbing onto a bell rope. Didn't work. Bang! Clang! Splat! That final bell can still be occasionally heard. That is, if your belief in the spirit world is that strong. In the late 19th century, the American Institute of Architects bought the Octagon as a headquarters and in the mid-20th century turned it into a museum when they moved to a larger building nearby. Over the years, the Octagon has been renovated many times, including in the 50s and 60s when the old wood of the building was replaced with steel and concrete under the common misconception of the time that this would make it stronger. Unfortunately, this greatly undermined the integrity of the building, and consequent renovations, costing millions of dollars, have attempted to restore the building to its original form. The building is open to the public as a museum and is recommended not only for the interesting history that has taken place there, but also for the spooky stories one could possibly have after visiting. Now, from the cold of the Northeast, we go to the warm Southwest, even more Southwest than Arizona, all the way to Hawaii. Every year, thousands of tourists from around the world flock to visit the historic Iolani Palace, once home to the Hawaiian monarchy. This national historic landmark in downtown Honolulu is ripe with memories and artifacts, and not to mention ghost stories. 
Storyteller Lopaka Kapanui, owner of Mysteries of Hawaii, has tales of ghost sightings on the palace grounds. Do you want a glimpse of Queen Lili Uokolani? Stop by the palace grounds around 5.30 a.m. and you just might see her ghostly figure. At least that's what the palace security guards tell Kapanui. I don't know how constant the sighting is, but it's consistent enough for security guards to confirm that it does indeed happen on the grounds of the palace, Kapanui says. Guards even report hearing the piano mysteriously playing in the blue room. Some with a royal bloodline connection to Kalakaua and Kapiolani claim to hear chanting or Hawaiian music playing when they enter the upstairs bedroom where Queen Liliuokalani was once imprisoned for nearly eight months following the overthrow of the indigenous Hawaiian government. Kapanui recalls bringing a group on a guided ghost tour in downtown Honolulu on a Sunday evening in 2006. The group stopped by the King Kamehameha statue across the street from Iolani Palace. Kapanui claims that from that vantage point he spotted the silhouette of a Hawaiian woman peering out from the window of Iolani's second floor bedroom where Liliuokalani was imprisoned. Her ghost, perhaps? Trick of the light? My imagination? I can't really say, Kapanui says. It was there, though. It did happen. Iolani Palace officials won't confirm these mysterious occurrences. All the stories I have heard are hearsay, and several or many degrees of separation from the individual who claims to have cited a former resident, says Iolani Palace historian Zita Kupchoi. There's a fenced-in area on the palace grounds that marks the formal burial site of Kamehameha II and Queen Kamemalu. They died of measles shortly after a trip to England between 1825 and 1865. The site served as a final resting place for Hawaiian royalty. After a new royal mausoleum was constructed in the Nu'uanu Valley, 18 coffins were removed from the Iolani Palace and transferred to the new burial site. There's a, a kapu sign warning visitors to stay away from this sacred and forbidden area. According to the former Honolulu advertiser, Queen Kapiolani planted two banyan trees on Iolani Palace grounds when the palace opened in the 1880s. The banyans later grew into a whole grouping of trees, and it's rumored that these 135-year-old trees house the spirits of the dead. Not all the ghosts spotted on Iolani Palace grounds are royalty, though. Kapanui says these trees harbor spirits of those who didn't have families to care for them. Well, that's the show for this week. Thanks for being along for the ride. I want to remind you that on Mondays, Aaron Hunter brings you Real Paranormal Activity, the podcast. Aaron reads listener stories, mostly ghost stories, sometimes UFOs, sometimes cryptids. 
On Tuesday, Aaron Frail brings you Aaron's Horror Show, different things that he's written. He reviews movies, books, things like that. On Wednesday, it's me, Terry from Texas, with Terry's Mysterious Moments, where we talk about just about anything there is to talk about. And at the first weekend of the month, we have video from The Witching Hour. And Aaron has instituted a new area called Entertaining Short Films. That's exactly what they are. They're just short stories. Nothing in particular. No particular genre. Just entertaining. Remember that you can go to your app store whether you have apple or android download the rpa app which is a black square with a blue eye in the middle of it download that to the device that you listen to the program on install it and when you open that up you can go straight to the real paranormal activity the podcast and its network so all the all the stories that are involved with RPA are there, so you don't have to go hunting for them. If you want to contact me at Terry's Mysterious Moments, you can do that on the Facebook page, and it's called Terry's Mysterious Moments. Or you can email me at Terry's Mysterious Moments at gmail.com. Contact me if you want to. Let's talk about some things. That's about it. We'll be back again. Listen to the other shows. Have a good week, everybody.